0: Our scripture text today is the Old Testament text from Jeremiah 29. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you somewhere, and uh, you'll find these passages with the page numbers listed in the bulletin. So Jeremiah 29, the first 14 verses. It's a letter. It's a letter that Jeremiah in Jerusalem writes to the exiles who are in Babylon. We'll say more about that in the sermon as we introduce this text, but that's the context of this. Listen here to God's Word. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother and the court officials and the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths, had departed from Jerusalem, in parentheses. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, of, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Here's what the letter said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name, I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place, that is to Jerusalem. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Amen. And then our gospel text is from Matthew chapter 28, the last four or five verses, 16 through 20, that would be five verses, I guess, known as the Great Commission. This basically is a summation, if you would, of all the things that Jesus taught His disciples in the time between His, his resurrection and His ascension. This encapsulates all that. I guess to we'll flesh flash that all out, but here's His command to His church. Listen here to God's Word. The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Amen. And then our Epistle reading is from Hebrews, the sixth chapter, verses 9 through 20. Let me set the context for you just a little bit here. Immediately prior to this passage, the immediately preceding verses are some of the most difficult in the Bible. They talk about ground that receives rain but doesn't produce anything of it, It talks about uh, being cut off and uh, sent away from God and uh, not possible to to repent again, all those sorts of things. And then he starts this, and we'll talk about both those during the sermon, but we want to read what he says in chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. So listen here. God's word but beloved we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation though we are speaking in this way for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the Saints and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of His purpose, interposed with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope We have as an anchor of the soul a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's Word which we've read. Heavenly Father, we are aware that You reign and rule. That your throne is established in the heavens and that your sovereignty rules over all. And Lord, we're here gathered to worship you, to hear from you, to, to do those things that are right and appropriate for a people called by your name to worship. And so Lord, part of what we're here to do is to hear you speak into our hearts and into our lives, into our midst. So come, Almighty God, by the power of your Spirit, and speak into our hearts, into our lives that we may be changed by your power and by your truth, by your love. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jeremiah 2911 is probably one of the most quoted and noted of verses in all the Bible. Many people know it and can quote it, but don't know where it's found. They know that I know the plans that I have for you, a plans for a future and a hope, right? We all, it's in our little things that we have like that. But don't know where to find it if you have to. I actually experienced this once. I was at a graduation party at the Kapustis, and someone asked me, Well, that version where it says, uh, I know the plans I have for you, a future and a hope, and all that. Where is that found? And it took about 15 minutes for us to find it. I, don't, I don't Just say it the way it is. So we're all familiar with the with the verse. And yes, hello, hooray. But do we know where it is and do we know its context? What it is. Well, I want to change. That for us today, so that forevermore we'll know the context and where it's found. All right? So, we'll understand something about that. The context is a scene of devastation. Nebuchadnezzar and the hordes of Babylon, fearsome, wicked, ungodly, fierce dudes, have ransacked Jerusalem. Jerusalem. They've not torn down the temple yet, but the, they've captured it. They've taken the king and the royal family and shipped them off to Babylon. This occurs in 597 B.C. So that's a long time ago, 2,500 years ago. So the king and his royal family, they're gone. It says he also took the court officials and drove them into exile. The court officials would have been high priests and priestly caste, and other officials, recorders, and heads of armies, and things like that. Now, among the people who were sent out here in 597 would have been Daniel and his friends. All right. Among them would have been Ezekiel, who was probably about a 25-year-old priest. The way it could be appreciated because you can't actually enter your priesthood until the 30th year of your life, but Ezekiel would have been among those who were driven out. Then it says craftsmen and Smiths. Where's Jeremy? Where's Ben? All the Smiths went, but they didn't mean Smiths like that. Smith means someone who's skilled at what they do. It's, it's an artisan, right? So all the guys who had skills and marketable things like it, they took them back and put them to work for Babylon. Instead of working for Israel and Jerusalem, come back and work, go to Babylon and work there for Nebuchadnezzar and his people. So that's part of it, what they would have remembered, what they would see and know about. But there was more than that, there was pillaging and devastation that was imprinted on their brain, on their mind. They can still see in their mind's eye homes. Houses, streets knocked down, rubble, nothing there. Their homes, my home, gone, or a wall standing here and a wall standing there. Destruction wherever you looked. And they would have had embedded in their minds scenes of death because people died, people were killed, and they were lying around, (laughs) no one put them away yet people you know, people who may have been your neighbors, maybe part of your family members, they're dead. They would remember in their mind's eye scenes of rape. Perhaps some of the women had been raped themselves, a common practice among conquering armies. And they would have remembered seeing those Babylonians take little children, babies and Infants, hold them by the heels and sling them against a stone, crushing their heads. Horrible images to have imprinted on your brain as a memory of being sent out of Jerusalem that way. And then I've been saying all along that he sent them into exile, they went into exile. They didn't just go on a 737, they chained them and they walked around naked all the way from Jerusalem to Babylon. Think Iran, Iraq, that whole area up there. So they had bitter, bitter memories at what had happened while they were there in Babylon. They did not like being in Babylon. They didn't see Babylon as a friendly place or a place that they want it to be at all you know you can still see things like that in today's world you talk with ukrainians and they're that way about russia i mean there's just a real antagonism there just a real bitterness there about them you'll have some other uh, countries like that uh, where that's the case but they had that in a deep deep way a deep hatred for the babylonians now so that's the people There's thousands of them. They're in Babylon. They're a community. And God speaks to those people by this letter that He sends by Jeremiah. So you got the context now? You got the context. This is, you know, here comes a letter from Jeremiah and you know, God speaks to the people in exile, but which of those prophets is a true prophet. Because there were lots of prophets. We'll see a little bit more how that goes on. Uh, The trouble is, just like today, people don't walk around with little signs or lapel patches to say, false prophet. Right? Don't you wish it was that easy? But you don't. You hear all these things, and somehow you have to sort through that. You hear things that don't fit together. You hear things that are actually opposed to one another. And they all claimed to be men of God, speaking of God, and whatever it would be. Well, they had that same problem. Who are they going to believe? Now, the false prophets, what we now recognize as false prophets, their message was this. God is going to deliver you out of your harsh servitude there in Babylon. And the Babylonians will not completely raise or take down Jerusalem Jerusalem's going to be restored in the next year or two, and you'll be returned. That's what they were prophesying in the name of the Lord. Said the Babylonians are going to fail, they're going to fall. Don't look to them. And so there was nurtured among the people a hope. These dirty, rotten, no-good Babylonians are destined for death. And it can't come too soon, as far as we're concerned. <clears throat> you want to see some examples? The very, a false prophets, the very chapter before 29. Andy, would you put up that passage from Jeremiah 28? Then Jeremiah the prophet said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This year you're going to die because you have counseled rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died in the same year in the seventh month. Now, I I had him put that up because that's a classic example. Now uh, he says he's a prophet, he's identified as a prophet. But he says, I've not sent you. You've gone out on your own. You've said things to people and they believed you and they trusted in a lie. And guess what, Hananiah? <clears throat> I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. <laughs> How would you like to have so, Laura, Josh? <laughs> God says, I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. Really? Now he doesn't think, Jeremiah, well, in the seventh month he died. We don't know how, but it happened. Okay, thank you. You can put up the next one, if you would, Andy. Uh, there's also a guy, th- this is in the It's in the same letter, by the way, this is in the same letter. We just didn't read all the letter this morning. It's in Jeremiah 29, 21. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Koaliah, and concerning Zedekiah, the son of Masaiah, who are prophesying, to you falsely in my name, behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will slay them before your eyes. Now again, he says pretty st- tough stuff. There, he names them by name: two guys, Ahab and uh, Zedekiah. Says though they, they have a band across their front, says prophet. He says there should be another band on top of that, it. Says false prophet. Don't believe him. Now do you see there's there's worldviews coming into conflict here, and it's a it's a very difficult time. And uh, God says in the letter here, we don't know if this happened, we presume it did, says Nebuchadnezzar is gonna take them, and before the eyes of all those thousands of exiles, those refugees in Babylon, he's gonna slay those two guys to show that they're false prophets. Now Nebuchadnezzar's not gonna say they're false prophets, he'll maybe say they're seditious or that, but he's gonna slay them. Okay? Now the third one, if you would, Andy. This is another letter that comes later on after the, the letter that we've already seen. It's in chapter 29. It concerns a guy named Shemaiah. It says, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nehalamite, Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, although I did not send him, and he made you trust in a lie, behold, I am about to punish Shemiah, because he has preached Rebellion against the Lord. So there's a constant refrain in these uh, condemnations of false prophets. There are people who are going and speaking in the name of God, but God has not sent them. They may feel all kinds of chills and thrills, but they do not have a word from God. They may have a strong conviction about what they think should happen or not, but they've not heard from God. And what they're doing when they they say these things out and tell people they're a prophet, they're making people trust in falsehood, in something that's not true. They're making them trust in a lie. Now, Jeremiah's letter in chapter 29 that we read, did you note the historical specificity of it? It names names not just of those guys. But the names of the king, the names of the princes, names of the guys, Elsa and uh, Zedekiah, etc. Names, there's names, and the question becomes, who sent those exiles, those refugees into exile? It starts off. Read it again. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar had done this. But we read the letter. And everywhere in the letter, it's at least four or five times, it says, I sent, the Lord says, I sent you into exile. You can hate the Babylonians all you want, but I'm the one who stands behind it. You're there because of me. That's a good word, isn't it? (laughs) All these things you've seen, all this stuff that's going on, all this is because of me. Now here's some more I have for you from the Lord that you need to hear, he says. That land of Babylon where they're saying it's going to be done and gone in just a couple of years, settle down there. Settle down. Build houses, plant gardens. What? In Babylon? Yep, right there. In Babylon, build houses, plant gardens, Marry, give your children to Mary and have lots of kids. How can we do all that in Babylon? You know? To multiply to have lots of kids is always a sign of hope. Do you hear one of the things in our society today, have you heard this, is it responsible for parents to have children, given the world in which we have? Is it responsible that we should even have kids at all? You hear that? That's a hopeless cry. God's people have never been hopeless. God, from the beginning, has said, be fruitful and multiply, and He's never taken it back. Not at all. I remember talking to Denny and June Gaiman one time and uh, they were talking about some family, I don't know the family, uh, but they were poor. And June says, yeah, all they had was kids. (laughs) I thought, that's great. (laughs) Hallelujah, that's a good thing to, if that's your problem, you got a good problem. All they had were kids. They had problems too. <laughs> if you have kids, <clears throat> you know where the where the where the where there are no oxen, the manger's stalls clean. But with oxen, it gets dirty. But there's much increase. So we won't go there. I got a limited amount of time here. Uh, now, so they the letter tells them all this stuff, and then here's the hard part. Here's the hard part. That was hard. Now it's a really hard part. It says, seek the welfare of the city where you are. Pray for it. Pray for the Babylonians? What? You mean pray that God's wrath will, boom, fall on them? No, seek the welfare, not the judgment of the city where you are. I can't do that. I mean, that would oppose them. He says, as it fares well, it'll fare well with you. You do this. Now I think of you know, that, that same thing you find in, in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2, pray for kings and all those in authority. You, you find it in Ephesians 4, pray you may lead a quiet and peaceable life for authorities. Yeah, pray for the welfare of your land. <clears throat> so they're to do that. They're to do that. What a hard thing to do. If you have a real object of your hatred and vitriol and who's made all the bad things happen to you, and you pray for God to bless them and use them and to work in their midst, that's hard. And that's exactly what God tells them to do here, those refugees. He has one more thing. He says, don't listen to the false prophets. Now, if what the false prophets say is true, they're not going to be able to do any of these things, because they're going to be back in Israel, right? He says, don't listen to them. Don't believe them. That's not right. Now, why should you do the things that we just said that you should do? God answers that. More good news. Because you're going to be there for 70 years. Even my confirmation class sitting back here. 70 years? Why, Annabelle and Mariah and Sarah and all those girls and boys, they'll be 80 years old and above. In 70 years? That's a long time. Norm, you'll be 304. My goodness. (laughs) I mean, 70 years. Do Do you know what that sounds like? It's not seven weeks. It's not seven months. It's 70 years. But it's straightforward. It's documentable. He says, <clears throat> this is good. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Now, when he says that, when he says that, he means that you may not know them. I know the plans I have for you. That's good to know, isn't it? What's God going to be doing with your life? I don't know. He does. It's a good thing to do. I know what he wants me to do. Pray for these people. Build a house. Put down roots. But yeah, I don't know. He says, I know the plans I have for you. He says, there are good plans. That you can have faith and you can have hope. He says, then, as this all begins to happen, then you will call on me. You will come to me. And you will pray to me. Now, <clears throat> something to remember here. The reason they've been sent into exile is because they've not come to God. They had all kinds of other idols that they worshipped, all kinds of other gods they called on. They may have even named them Jehovah, but they weren't God. <clears throat> One of their favorites was called the Queen of Heaven. It says, The time's coming when you're going to come to me, call on me, pray to me, and I will be found of you. That's called revival. That's called comfort. That's called assurance. He says, then, at the end of that 70 years, I will bring you back to Jerusalem. Hello, Ezra and Nehemiah, right? Hello, Ezra and Nehemiah. <clears throat> By the way, you know this is still happening. All the Jews didn't go back then at the end of 70 years. They liked it where they were. <laughs> you know, sort of like Exodus all over again. They like where they were. <clears throat> I had a guy in my office maybe five years ago, a Jew who was raised in Iran, and uh, his family just now started going back to Israel. We support him now, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, David Zadok, but uh, he got converted over here, and, and, but his family's coming back to, to, to Israel now from, from Babylon. Stephen, on our first trip to Israel, our bus driver, what, I forget his name now, but he was, where do you come from? I come from Babylon. <laughs> and I was from Iran. He was part of the, you know, that whole, and finally he's coming back. Now, what might, oh boy, it's low Sunday, right? So you have a a low sense that I have to get out of here on time, right? Okay. (laughs) What might that look like if they listen to the counsel of the Lord in Jeremiah's letter? I would suggest read Daniel the first six chapters. Daniel and his friends were there, and they did this. Andy, would you put up Psalm 137, 8, and 9? Here's a difficult passage in the Bible, as you'll find, to read. These are the people in Babylon. Here's part of their prayer and song. O daughter of Babylon, you devastator! How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us! How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones' against the rock. Remember I told you that one of the pictures they had in their mind? So they're praying for vengeance just like that. So that's where they were, I'm suggesting. Somebody have said it for a while. Jeremiah's letter comes, <clears throat> it's going to transform, and he put up the next one. Psalm 144. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. So the rock, if they get transformed... The rock against which they want to dash the little ones is Christ, is the Lord God. They're changed. Instead of death, life. Thank you. Now, let's have some applications. Time's up, but I have three applications to make. We're like them. Our true citizenship is elsewhere, right? Our true citizenship is elsewhere, but we live here. And so God calls the people there in Babylon to stop being refugees and become residents. Get involved for good in the land where you are. So I'm going to say that to us Get involved for good in the land where you are, pay your taxes, be part of the community, be part of the culture. Serve on boards, volunteer, be an influence, <coughs> put down roots. So go from being a refugee to being a resident. That's what he calls them to do, all right? Now we can expand on all that. we got a sermon, move on to our second application. Instead of being a mourner, be a missionary. Yes, we lament in our, this land where we are, we lament the decline from God, but we stand firm for where we are. We bear witness to the good. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, the Great Commission that we read. We're to go to all the nations, including this one, and teach them all that God has taught us. So we stand firm and we preach, we teach, we share, uh, we bear witness to the good. And that always involves the issue of the day. The issue of the day in Jeremiah's time was, is God going to take us back right away? He said, no. What's the biggest issue of our day? It's the sexual revolution. Everything revolves around that. Uh, If sexual revolution is the deal, then we must stand, like Daniel and his friends, on that. We we cannot bow to that idol. We we simply cannot do that. We refuse. And you may throw us into the furnace— But we shall not bow and worship that God. Now, it may cost us jobs. It may cost us friends. Who knows what? Think of the believers in other parts of the world. We live in sort of a a fat, flaccid land in America. But think of believers in the Middle East where on your identification card. You have Christian. That means there are automatically certain jobs and tasks you cannot do. You're not qualified for. It's already becoming that way here. You heard what Yale Law School is getting ready to do, or doing? Implementing a thing that, that the stipends they give to their students when they're on uh, summer and they work for other law firms, they, they, they underwrite their, their uh, uh, salary. If you work for a law firm that does not bow down to the sexual revolution they will not do that they will not pay that for you so already the discrimination is beginning to flow so be aware of that companies schools professions will face this so go from being mourners about the decline to being missionaries stand for it be true It may cost you, but you're a missionary. God says, I'll be with you all the way to the end. Number three, go from being a victim to a visionary. What does this mean? What was the earliest confession of the Christians? Jesus is Lord, right? First of all, Jesus is Lord. Caesar's not Lord. Mammon's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. That is, don't be a victim. All these guys did stuff to you. No, 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 Jesus is Lord. Nebuchadnezzar did not take you into captivity. I sent you there. Okay, (laughs) okay, let me learn. In confirmation today, we said, there's nothing wrong with being wrong. Is there anybody here who's ever been wrong? Raise your hand if you've ever been wrong. Every hand's up? Yeah, there's only one thing wrong with being wrong. It's when you won't acknowledge that you're wrong. You persist in your wrongness. Right? Wrong. I'm wrong, I mean. That's right. (laughs) We're just having fun. So be visionaries, not victims. Know that God has a plan, and it's good. He knows what it is. I may not. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I just made that up. Well, maybe I read it in 1 Thessalonians 5. You, you see what you, what you think it was. So, back to where we began. Jeremiah 29, 11 is wonderful. It was a good word, a right word, a true word for the refugees in Babylon. It remains a right and good word for all of us who are refugees here, where God's calling us to not be refugees, but to be residents, to not be mourners, but to be missionaries, not to be victims, but to be visionaries, because we're beloved of God, refugees. Amen.